All right, let's dive into our sermon series that we started uh, last week called um, um, The Story of David. And so uh, last week we, we introduced uh, what I said was my favorite person in the whole Bible, uh, which is uh, King David. And, and so we talked about, we're, we're going to spend about four weeks talking about the life of King David. And last week we talked about how he was called, how God uh, uh, sent someone when he was a very young man, probably 15 years old, uh, to anoint David, who was just this little shepherd boy, to be the next king of Israel. And, uh, and then affirmed that calling by giving him victory in battle over a, a, a big brute named uh, Goliath. Uh, and so, <coughs> pardon me. So we talked about that and, and that sense of calling last week. This week we're going to uh, uh, focus a little bit more on uh, the period of time David had to wait between his calling and when he finally became king. And, uh, and so, so that's what we're going to do uh, this week. Now, there's, I want to turn you on this morning to a, a set of videos that you can find online. You can find them on YouTube or at thebibleproject.com. Uh, and it's called The Bible Project. And these guys have made these videos that are absolutely phenomenal. And they're these kind of uh, whiteboard sessions that, that give a really great overview of each book of the Bible and what the significant things that happen. And you know how when, sometimes when you're reading the Bible, maybe you just read a little bit and you're you kind of get lost in all the words and how all that fits and what, what's it really trying to say. And these little videos do such a fantastic job of really summing up what the major themes are. And so I thought rather than giving you a recap of, if you weren't here last week, you know, give you a recap of what happened, what we talked about last week, I'd let one of these videos speak for us. It's going to take you through the whole book of First Samuel. A little bit longer video than I would normally play. It's about seven minutes, but uh, you're going to get a lot out of it. So watch this real fast. The books of First and Second Samuel, they're two separate books in our modern Bibles, but that division is due simply to scroll length. It was originally written as one coherent story. We're just going to cover the book of First Samuel in this video. So after Israel was rescued from slavery in Egypt, they made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai and eventually came into the promised land. And there Israel was supposed to be faithful to God and obey the covenant commands. Before the book of Samuel, judges showed how Israel failed at that task big time. It was a period of moral chaos, and it showed Israel's need for wise, faithful leaders. The book of Samuel provides an answer to that need. The book of Samuel's story focuses on three main characters, the prophet Samuel, where the book gets its name, and then King Saul, and after that, King David. And all three of them transitioned Israel from a group of tribes ruled by judges into a unified kingdom ruled by King David in Jerusalem. And the book of Samuel has a fascinating design that weaves the story of these three characters together in four main parts. Samuel, he's the key leader and prophet in the first section of the book, but then he also plays a key role in the next section, which is Saul's story. And it's told in two movements, Saul's rise to power and then his failures. And the second part is about his downfall and his tragic death. And then the drama of Saul's demise is matched by David's exciting rise to power. And then David's story is told in two movements. First, he rides the wave of his success, followed by his own tragic failure and the slow self-destruction of his family and then his kingdom. The book concludes with an epilogue that reflects back over the whole story. So let's dive in and see how this all unfolds. Part one picks up from the chaos of the book of Judges, and we're introduced to a touching story about a woman named Hannah. And she's grieved because she has never been able to have children. And by God's grace, she finally has a son named Samuel. 
And in joy, she sings this amazing poem in chapter two. And the poem is all about how God opposes the proud and exalts the humble, about how despite tragedies and human evil, God is working out his purposes in history. And also it's about how God will one day raise up an anointed king for his people. Now, Hannah's poem has been placed here at the beginning of the book to introduce these key themes that we're going to see throughout the whole story, like the next one. Samuel grows up and becomes a great prophet and leader for the people of Israel at the same time that the Philistines rise to power as Israel's arch nemesis. And in this crucial battle, the Israelites get arrogant, and instead of praying and asking God for help, they trot out the Ark of the Covenant as this kind of magic trophy that will automatically grant them victory in battle. And so because of their arrogant presumption, God allows Israel to lose the battle and the ark is stolen. So the Philistines, they take the ark and they place it in the temple of their god, Dagon. And then the God of Israel defeats the Philistines and the god Dagon without an army by sending plagues on the people. And then the Philistines don't want the ark anymore, obviously, and they send it back to Israel. And the point of this little story seems to be this. God is not Israel's trophy, and he opposes pride among the Philistines, but also among his own people. And so Israel needs to remain humble and obedient if they want to experience God's covenant blessing, which opens up into the next large section. The Israelites come to Samuel and they say, hey, we want a king like all the other nations have. Go find one for us. And so Samuel, he's kind of ticked off and he goes to consult with God. And God says, yes, their motives are all wrong, but if a king is what they want, give them one. And so we're introduced to the figure of Saul. Now, Saul is a tragic figure because he begins full of promise. He's tall, he's good looking, he's a perfect candidate for a king, but he has deep character flaws. He's dishonest, he lacks integrity, and he seems incapable of acknowledging his own mistakes. And so these flaws become his downfall. He wins some battles at the beginning, but his flaws run so deep, he eventually disqualifies himself by blatantly disobeying God's commands. And so the aging Samuel confronts Saul and Israel. He had warned the people that they would only benefit from a king who's humble and faithful to God. Otherwise, the kings of Israel will bring ruin. So he informs Saul that God is going to raise up a new king to replace him. And so Saul's downfall begins. As God, at the same time, is working behind the scenes to raise up that new king. It's an insignificant shepherd boy named David. He's the least likely candidate to be king. But the famous story of David and Goliath shows that God's choice of David is not based on his family status, but simply on his radical and humble trust in the God of Israel. And so this story embodies all of the themes of Hannah's poem. Proud Saul and Goliath are brought low, while humble David is exalted. From here, we watch Saul slowly descend into madness, while David rises to power. So David starts working for Saul as a general, and he's winning all of the battles, and he's also winning all of the fame. And so Saul gets jealous, and he starts chasing David around, hunting him, trying to kill him. David's done nothing wrong. And so David simply runs and waits in the wilderness. And here we see David's true character. He has multiple opportunities to kill Saul, but he doesn't. He simply trusts that despite Saul's evil, God will raise up a king for his people. 
What's interesting, too, is that many of the poems of David that you find in the book of Psalms are linked to this very period of his life, and they all express the same attitude of trust. And so this section of the book ends with Saul coming to a grisly death after losing a battle with the Philistines. First Samuel tells some of the most intricate, well-told stories you find anywhere in the Bible, and the characters Saul and David, they're portrayed very realistically. And the author's putting them forward as character studies so that you can find yourself in them. So in Saul's story, we see a warning. It's crucial that we reflect on our own character flaws and how they harm us and other people. And with God's help, we need to humble ourselves and deal with our dark side so that Saul's story doesn't become ours. David, on the other hand, is presented as an example of patience and trust in God's timing in our lives. And so he's running in the wilderness, being chased by Saul. David had every reason to think that God had abandoned him, but that's not what he thinks. And so David's story encourages us to trust that despite human evil, God is working out his purposes to oppose the proud and to exalt the humble. And that's what 1 Samuel is all about. All right. So uh, I really would encourage you, I, I so appreciate the you know, the guys that have put these together because they're a fantastic tool for helping us understand the Bible better. If it, I would encourage you to look them up. Again, you can find them on YouTube under The Bible Project or at thebibleproject.com. So moving into uh, the story this week, it kind of gave you an overview of where we're going, where we went, where we're going today. But um, we're going to pick up today right after David defeats Goliath and chops off his head and then routes the Philistine army. And the, I mean, it's just a massive, massive victory, right? And so we pick up in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18 uh, with verses 6 and 7. And it says this, As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments, you know, the way women do. And uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, and so, and the women sang to one another uh, as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. All right, so already there's a recipe for disaster going on here. And the next verse says this, and Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. So Saul is already, jealousy is setting in. He's keeping a close eye on David. It's making him nervous how, uh, you know, his popularity is rising. And they're already giving him kind of more credit for things than they were giving Saul. And he's still a young man. I mean, at this point, he's probably late teens, early 20s, young adult uh, type of guy. Uh, And so then it says this. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. So evidently, David had a job uh, where he worked for King Saul. He would get to go into the palace where King Saul was. David, we talked about last, last week, was not only a warrior but a poet. He wrote a lot of the songbook of, of Israel that we call Psalms. And, and so he would go and play his little weird harp thing and, and sing songs you know, that he wrote. And it would, you know, typical kind of royal court sort of thing. It would keep the king, king calm, and he enjoyed the whole, the whole thing. So David has this job working for Saul as a musician, 
and uh, he's going to work now after the whole uh, David and Goliath event, and uh, he's playing for Saul. And then it says this, Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. So what I love about that little detail is that, is that David goes to work one day, and Saul chucks a spear at him and tries to kill him, and David goes back to work the next day. <laughs> like, like, you think you've got it bad at your place of employment. Like that is, that is some messed up stuff right there. Like David's like, okay, I guess this is my new life now. I'm going back to work and dodging spears. All right. So here's the deal. David knows that he has this calling from God on his life to be the next King. And yet he's serving under the current King, um, uh, Saul, who is kind of turning into this very wicked man. Um, and so this is what I want us all as, as we're all kind of dealing with our own callings and our own passions that God has given us and things that he want, that we want to work on. And maybe, maybe that God is calling you to work on. Um, one of the things I want you to keep in mind is this, it's a, it's a very important truth that people will discourage you, but don't give up your calling. People will discourage you, but don't give up your calling. This is what I, I promise you. I don't care how excited you are about whatever thing God is calling you to do. I don't care how excited you are about what passion or career you're working towards or whatever. There's going to be someone who is not going to be happy that you're trying to do the things you do or, or change the things you're trying to change. There's going to be at least someone who is going to try to discourage you. And it could be from simple jealousy You've got a plan. They don't have a plan, and so they just want to try to drag you down. It could be from they don't want things to change. They, you know, whatever. I, you know, I've worked a lot of years in different churches, and I can tell you one of the places that this happens often is actually in the context of church. Like when people feel a, a calling to start up a new ministry or to do something differently that they think might be more effective, oftentimes it's really common in church land for certain people to go, nope, not having any part of that. We're not doing that. We've done it this way for a lot of years and we like doing it that way and we're not doing anything different. And, and you know, the, the whole thing. So they kind of, a lot of, oftentimes people will dig in their heels and make it really difficult for you to move in the direction maybe that you feel God is calling you to move. Now, when I was a younger man in church, I used to think that, I used to get really angry, like just super angry. Like why would, they're so evil. Why would they stand in the way of what God's obviously telling me to do? And, you know, just like, just really just angry like that. Right. And then over the years, as I've, as I've mellowed some, I've, I've got to the point to where I realize, you know, sometimes people aren't bad. Sometimes they're just wrong. Right. And there's a difference. There's a distinction. And I think a lot of times we take people that we disagree with and we automatically give them some sort of evil label that they probably don't deserve. Sometimes people aren't, aren't bad. Sometimes they're just they're just wrong or they see it from a different point of view. And, and what, what I didn't realize a lot of times in church land when I was trying to, you know, do new things and try new things and roll out new programs or, or whatever the reason people dig in and resist is because when you change something, when you add something, it often means the death of something else. Now, we're going we're to add this great new program that we think is going to be really effective at helping us reach our community. And as we do that, this other thing that we used to do is going to go away. And, and as the guy who's trying to make the changes and add the new things, you don't understand. You don't understand why everybody isn't just as excited as you are. And what I lost sight of is the fact that that program that, that I was trying to replace for a lot of people in that church, maybe that, maybe that program is the program that they came to know Christ under. 
Maybe that thing that I'm trying to change is, is how their kids learned best about Christ or how their neighbors came to, 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 to a genuine faith. And that thing at once, at one time, that thing that you're trying to replace was the new thing. And it worked and it worked well. And now we're, as we're trying something else, some people want to hold on to that thing that works so well because there's emotion attached to it and there's memories attached to it. And this doesn't just apply to church. It can apply to stuff that goes on at your work, things that the way that you do family, the way that we do community as a town or whatever. I mean, it can apply in a lot of different, different areas. People are resistant to that change, but rather than making them evil, rather than making them enemies, try to slow up a little bit and see things from their point of view and have conversations with people about, you know, why it is that they're resisting. Don't, but for some of you, I know this because some of you are just kind of hardwired this way. When you experience a little bit of resistance around something that you get excited about, some of you have the tendency to just kind of throw your hands up in the air and go, "Never mind, never mind. I don't need to do that. Whatever. It it doesn't matter." And that's not. Maybe God is not trying to block you from doing this thing. Maybe He's trying to sharpen you a little bit. Maybe He's trying to get you prepared for something that's coming up. And so, rather, so my, my my word there is just, don't give up. Keep going. Don't let pe- people are going to try to discourage you. Don't give up. All right. Now, as we move forward through the book of First Samuel, basically, uh, Dave, or Saul makes David uh, a general over the army, armies as he gets a little older, and David's victories are uh, numerable. He has so many victories. He, I mean, he is he is a powerful, powerful warrior, uh, a great leader of men in battle. And, uh, and his popularity just continues to rise and rise and rise. And Saul just gets more and more jealous to the point that fa- finally Saul says, I've got to deal with David or he's going to, or he's going to, he's, he's all nervous. He's paranoid. Uh, he's unreasonable. And he's like, David's going to take my throne. And so I got it. So Saul sends his armies to go kill David and David gathers his own men to kind of defend himself. But David never raises a hand to Saul. He's just in constant defense mode because he still has this massive amount of respect for Saul just because Saul is king. And David goes, this is God's anointed man. And I don't, I don't want to raise a hand to the one that God anointed. And he's, so he's patient and he's humble, like that video that we just watched talks about. And so, but as you read, I would really encourage you to read all the stories because the stories are fascinating. There's this one really great story where Saul's chasing David and, and, uh, and David is just on the run. He doesn't know where to go. And so he's like, maybe I can take refuge in the city of Gath. Now, if Gath sounds familiar, it's because last week we met a guy by the name of Goliath of Gath. And so this is David's reasoning. Things are so bad with Saul, maybe I can go to Goliath's hometown and it'll be better for me there, right? And so David goes to Gath and as he gets there, he realizes really quickly, this, is, this was a horrible idea and it's gonna go really, really bad for him. So David's plan to get out of the situation is he just pretends to be crazy. He like messes up his hair, he's foaming at the mouth. He starts peeing on the gates and the walls and all around. He's just going crazy. And, and so all the Gathites are like, uh, never mind, just get that, get rid of that dude. Just get him out of here, right? He, he's lost his mind. And so David like gets out of the city gates and runs away. And he's like, got out of that situation, right? And so just, just this crazy, crazy story. And so uh, all this Saul chasing David continues to happen until one day David is on the run from Saul and he and his men hide out in this cave that they find. And, uh, and as they're hiding from Saul in the cave, Saul gets that urge 
he's got to take a royal poop. And so he goes into the cave to take care of business. And this is where we pick up the next part of the story here. So it's 1 Samuel 24, starting with verse 2, it says this, Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost part of the cave and The men of David said to him, here's the day which the Lord said to you, behold, I'll I'll give you your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. And so David rose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So Saul's, you know, reading books and, and, and David, you know, sneaks up on him. Saul had probably like taken off his outer robe and laid it off on a rock or something. David sneaks up on Saul and Saul cuts off a corner of his robe, right? And he's feeling a little cocky in this moment. Uh, I mean, Saul is very, extremely vulnerable, okay? So verse 5, he says this, And afterward, David's heart struck him because he'd cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, now, now, what, what David's getting ready to say here, he uses the word Lord a lot. And so when you see the all caps, Lord, he's talking about God. When you see the lowercase Lord, he's talking about Saul, okay? So he says, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And so David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Later on in the story, there's kind of a showdown between David and Saul where David from across a long distance kind of holds up the corner of his robe and says, look, I could have killed you and I didn't. And, uh, and they kind of part ways a little bit. Um, so, this is what I want you to know when you're kind of moving towards your calling. This is going to happen. You're going to get impatient. You're going to want things to happen quicker than they're happening. But don't forfeit your calling. You're going to get impatient. Don't forfeit your calling. In other words, if, you have, if, if in your mind the only way to get to your destination is for you to compromise your own integrity or to take a shortcut that's less than ethical or to make a move that's going to damage your reputation or the reputation of God. It's not worth it. Just continue to be patient. Just continue to be patient. It's not worth you destroying everything you're working for just for the chance to get there a little quicker than you, than you hoped you, you know, than, than, than is going the way for you now. You will become impatient. Some of you are, are that way, man. You're just constantly like chomping at the bit. I hate waiting. I hate waiting. I hate waiting. Like anybody enjoy like waiting in line at Disneyland? Anybody love that? Like that whole, like isn't everybody, when you first get to Disneyland, isn't it like the most exciting feeling in the world? And then you, and then you jump into an hour long wait for dumb old pirates of the cares of being. And you're like, really? Was this worth an hour of my life sitting here? And it was, of course it was, but, but. <laughs> But still, it's just like you hate that. Like, I hate that waiting. I hate it so much. Something really great. Like, just, you, just, I just, you want what you want, and you want it now. But I'm telling you, if you have to compromise your principles, if you have to compromise who you are as a man or a woman to get where it is you want to go, then you're going about it the wrong way. And this is one of the reasons that David was such a great king. Such a great king. Because... Because he took this to heart. He didn't let this 
journey from him being a shepherd to being king. He didn't let it change who he was or change how, you know, he knew who God was and he knew who he was and he wasn't going to allow the circumstances of his life to change that. When I was, um, it was my first like paid pastoral position. I was a youth pastor uh, at a church and um, very young, you know, still in my early 20s. And um, as I was in this position, uh, the pastor I worked for, it was a great man. I love him to death and um, just a really fantastic pastor. I mean, the, the man did pastoral care as good or better than any pastor I've ever seen in my life. Um, but after being in this church for about a year and, year and a half, it became obvious to me that my philosophy of church and his philosophy of church were very different, were very different. And I, and I began to get kind of frustrated and, um, you know, and so just began to wrestle a lot with that. And a lot, as I'm wrestling through just kind of our differences in philosophy, I also had people in the church that were um, a few that were kind of frustrated that would try to bend my ear and say, you know, we think maybe you should be pastor. And, um, and so as I'm, as I'm, as I'm hearing all of that, I'm, I'm beginning to really like question things like what, what should I do here? What, you know, what's the right thing to do? If I know a better path, if I believed I knew a better path, if I know a better way to do things or whatever, should I, should I try to, you know, do something to kind of speed that along or force that? Or, you know, I don't know what the right thing to do is here. And I remember one Thanksgiving, Jamie's got a cousin who lives in, um, Fresno and we had Thanksgiving dinner with their family and and her cousin's husband uh, has been is a guy who has served for a lot of years in kind of second chair positions in churches, associate type positions, staff positions in churches, and uh, and so I uh, I went to him and just for some advice, and I kind of explained to him what was going on, and I, and, and I said I just don't I don't know what I should do. What's the right thing for me to do? And so uh, he opened up the Bible and read to me this story, and he said um, he said your role. Uh, until you're the, you know, the person who's the lead pastor or whatever. He said, your role is to support him. It's to support him. And you do it every day to the best of your ability. And if it ever gets to the point to where you think you absolutely can't support him any longer, then your next move is not to try to do your own thing. Your next move is to leave. Is to leave. And I have to say that that single piece of advice was probably one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received in my entire life because it helped me put things in perspective and kind of slow my false feeling of urgency about thing. And it helped me respect that leader a whole lot more than I, you know, was, was probably thinking about. And it just helped me do the right thing. And I'm telling you, as you're moving towards your goals in life, if it causes you to compromise who you are, then, um, then you're going about it the wrong way. Don't forfeit your calling just because you're getting impatient. Now, long story short, uh, King Saul ends up being killed in battle against the Philistines. And so as we get to the end of 1 Samuel and start beginning into 2 Samuel, uh, that's the scenario. Saul is dead. They're in need for a new king. And it's finally David's time. And this is where we pick it up, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 3. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household. And they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. So David finally gets to be king. Now, one of the things I want to point out here is that uh, from the time David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king, 
to the moment that the crown actually landed on his head was a period of time of about 25 to 30 years. 25 to 30 years of knowing you're going to be the next king. And probably in the back of your mind, kind of chomping at the bit, especially I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if you're David looking at Saul and all of his wicked ways and, you know, spear chucking, you know, at staff members and stuff like that. I mean, if you're, if you're looking at all that, you're going, oh, I, I could, I'm sure David was, was going, dude, I'll tell you what, when I'm king, I'm not throwing spears at my musicians. That's not going to happen under my watch, right? You know, I mean, he's learning less. I mean, he's, he's looking at that going, I could do, I could probably do things so much better. For 25 or 30 years, he waited for that moment. I think this is the thing that's so beautiful about David in, in 1 Samuel is that he did it so honorably, so faithfully. Like so many opportunities came for him to compromise him, himself, compromise his ethics, take shortcuts, whatever. And he just kept plugging along, just trusting God for God's timing and being faithful, being faithful. So as you're kind of in this phase, I want you to realize that God is not finished with you. Prepare for your calling. Like we, like as soon as we hear our calling, as soon as, soon as we hear, you know, kind of the Holy Spirit leading us to do fill in the blank, whatever. Our natural tendency is to go, well, I must be ready to do it or God wouldn't have called me. Right? So yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Let's get this thing over. Let's, let's do it right now. And what we miss out on maybe is that there might be a period of time between calling and fulfillment where God is preparing you. He's, he's got work for you. He's not finished with you. He, like, can you imagine if when David was 15 and he first got anointed and he was like, sweet, I'm king, let's do this, right? That would have gone horribly wrong, like horrible. That would not have been good at all. Instead, what David does is he takes every opportunity to just simply be faithful to God. And then as God opens doors of service for him, David just goes through those doors. God opens up a, 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 an opportunity for him to just be in the room with Saul playing music. And, and, and can you imagine the things that David witnessed and what he saw as the person in that room? How he saw what it took to be a king and what it meant to, you know, what kind of things a king was responsible for. And, and I'm sure he looked at Saul going, man, he's good at that. I mean, he does that really well. And then there were days he was looking at Saul going, oh, that's a lesson in what not to do, right? And so he's learning that. He's learning that too. But he's learning so much. And then he gets this military experience where he learns how to lead men and he does that well and he does it to the glory of God. Everything that comes across David's path, he's learning how to do it well. He learns how to deal with a leader that you're in conflict with and how to do that in an honorable way. He learns how to, um, um, you know, be on the side of right and not be the one in control, not the one with the power. And he learns how to do that well and do it in a way that glorifies God. This whole 25 or 30 year period is is God preparing David so when that crown is placed on David's head, David is ready to be king. He's ready. He's ready to rule now at this point. God's not finished with you. You know, if, you're, if you find yourself in that land of in-between, in-between your calling and, and seeing the, the fulfillment of that calling, God's not finished with you yet. Allow him to continue to prepare you and you prepare yourself for your calling. Years ago, my little brother, uh, Jason, he was, he had a, uh, a wife and you know, a couple kids at the time. I say a couple cause he's got like too many kids now. And, 
They're all beautiful nieces and nephews, and I love them all. But it's a lot of them, trust me. And so, anyway, so he was, you know, his family was still young at the time, and he was working some sales job. I don't remember what he was selling. But, um, but he, he, he calls me one day and says, I feel like God's calling me into ministry. I think, I think, I need to be, I think God's asking me to be a pastor. Like, great. That's, that's cool. That's, that's, that's good news or whatever, you know. And so he's like, you know, what should I do right now? And I was like, well, has any churches called you to come be their pastor yet? And he's like, no. <laughs> he said, like, I just now discovered this news. And so I was like, well, then I would en- enroll in school, take some classes. And, you know, we, we lived near a, a Bible college at the time. And I just said, just get yourself trained. Just get yourself ready for whenever God's timing is. And so that's what he, he was like. I don't really like school. I was like, it doesn't matter. Just, just take the classes. And so he t- took the classes and after, you know, he was faithful in that for kind of getting himself prepared. And a couple semesters later, he got a call from a church and they wanted him to come be their pastor. And, and, and he, it wasn't about finishing the degree or, or, or whatever. It was about being faithful in the land of in-between. Not assuming that you have it all together and there's nothing, no possible way you could improve on all of this, you know, to make, to make yourself better. Instead, you just, you just just submit yourself to God and go, thank you for calling me to this. Now do whatever it takes to get me ready to actually do that. Anybody ever felt God call you to something that you were 100% ready to do right away? Anybody? Yeah. None of you have, right? God doesn't work that way. He calls, he prepares and equips, and then he sends. That's the way God tends to work. And so while you're kind of living in that land of in-between, just know God's not finished with you. Do some prep work. Submit yourself to him. Admit that you've got a lot you can learn. Now, God's timeline is not our timeline. It's not. Like if it's some, there are times that God will call you to something and Man, that thing fast tracks and it just seems to happen really fast. And then there are times when you're David waiting years, maybe even decades for you to see this thing that, that God is calling you to do. And it could be any number of things. Like I said earlier, it, it could be something to do with ministry and church life. It could be something to do with your career or the way that you're leading your family or the way that you're engaging the community or whatever. But you, you work the process that God lays out before you. I mean, very few people just decide one day they're going to be president and then do, like, other than our current president. Um, very few people, yeah, that was for free. Um, like, you, you interview every other president in the world, and, and I'm sure it, uh, President Trump would, would tell a similar story too, but you interview these guys and they'll tell you, I started off in student government at my high school or my college, or I, or I started off in city government or on a school board or something like that. And I, and I did that and I got experience and people noticed that as I got more experience, that I was more capable and they offered me a, a higher position and then a higher position. And, and now I find myself to, to where finally, when it's time to take the Oval Office, I feel somewhat prepared, somewhat, right? It's kind of that same process that God lays out before us when he calls us to things. It it doesn't always happen all at once. Sometimes you're in this land of in-between. The key, here's the key. As we're going to find out next week, David as a king was a good king. In fact, he's considered the greatest king of Israel. Every other king was measured against King David. How good a king was King Rehoboam? Well, I don't know. Let's hold him up against David and see. No, he wasn't very good. 
right? Like David was Israel's Abraham Lincoln, right? I mean, he was that guy. He was the one that every other king is measured against. But he didn't become the greatest king Israel ever knew just by making his own path. He followed God's path and he did it patiently and he did it honorably and he did it every step of the way to glorify God. And that's why, that's kind of our role. I don't know what your path looks like. I'm still at times trying to figure out my own, right? But this is what I know. Ultimately, God doesn't want you to be perfect. I've said this before. He doesn't, he's not calling you to perfection. He's just calling you to faithfulness. And while none of us can do perfection, all of us can do faithfulness. Because faithfulness is not about my track record of how moral a guy I am or how many rules I break or don't break. Faithfulness is about, in all things, I'm just going to try to stay with God. Okay, I I screwed up there. I went down a path I shouldn't have gone. I made a decision I should have made, but but it doesn't separate me from God. I'm still with God. I'm still following him. I'm going to keep following him. I'm just going to be faithful. And God measures success differently than we measure success. Let's say God calls you to start some business. He gives you some idea for a business, and that's your, that's your calling. That's your, his plan for your life to do that. It could be that by standard terms of what success looked like, that your business doesn't meet any of those terms. But it could be that it's still a very successful business in God's eyes because God measures success differently than we measure success. In God's eyes, a measure of success is not how much money you make, how many people are showing up or whatever like that. God's measure of success is this. Were you faithful to my calling? Did you do what I asked you to do? Did you follow me even when it was difficult? Did you stay with me when you could have taken an easier path? Were you faithful? And every single one of us can do that. We can be faithful. You can't be faithful perfectly but you can get right back on and keep trying and, and, and just be somebody who plugs along faithfully. One of the things we're going to look at next week as we look at David as a king is he was a very flawed person. He was not perfect by any, I mean, he did, there were several, several peachable offenses, impeachable offenses in, in uh, King David's rule. I mean, he sinned big, but he was faithful. He just stayed with God. And I think all of us can do that. Now, for some of you, you know, maybe you're new to church and you're looking at this whole thing going, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can be a person of faith. I don't know if, you know, I, I got a lot of skeletons in my closet. I got a lot of temptations and stuff I'm not ready to let go of. You know, I, I, I can't be what I think Christianity or church people look like. I, I don't know. And I'm telling you, it's not about how perfect you can be because you're sitting with the, Largest gathering of losers in Dixon today. <laughs> right? It's true. It's true. Like we, we lose with a capital L sometimes. Right? But here's the deal. It's not, about, it's not about that. It's not about can you be as good as whoever's sitting next to you. It's not about that. It's can you be faithful. Can I, just, can, I, can I just stay on this trajectory, kind of moving towards God and loving God and knowing him more and being his child? Can I just kind of keep being faithful to his calling in my life? And yeah, I'm going to fail. And yeah, I'm going to sin. I'm going to, I'm going to wound people. I'm going, to, I'm, going to do some, I'm going to make some boneheaded decisions throughout the course of my life. Some things I wish I could pull back so badly. But it's not about that. 
Can I be faithful? Well, there's an author, uh, Eugene Peterson. He's the guy who wrote the version of the Bible called that we call the Message, and uh, he has this book. Uh, it's a, a book about discipleship, and the title is "It's a Long Obedience in the Same Direction," and that, that that's faithfulness. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's not a it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You do this, and you just keep plugging along, you keep plugging along, you keep going in the same direction. Yeah, you're going to stumble. Yeah, you're going to have hard times, whatever. You're going to have setbacks. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And sometimes God's calling in our life is the same thing. It's a long obedience. So be obedient. Be faithful. Pray with me. Pray this prayer that, prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, your word is good to us this morning. And we thank you so much for the example of your servant David to us to, uh, to not give up, to maintain uh, our values and our integrity when, it, when it's easier to not do so. Um, and, and God, we, just, we love you. We thank you that you do place these callings on our life and you get involved in our lives that you don't just you know, send this planet hurling out into the universe unattended, but you care about us um, and you call us. And so God help us to identify the callings that you place on our life uh, and help us to be faithful in those callings. And so God, for, if there's anybody in the room today that is... Uh, struggling in the land of in-between. They feel that you've revealed a plan for their life, but they haven't reached it yet, and they're getting impatient. God, I pray that you would give them uh, patience and that your presence would be real and felt to them right now, then you would give them the motivation to not give up, but to just simply stay faithful to you. For those of us in the room that are maybe waiting for direction and, and getting impatient there, God, I pray that you would keep us faithful on the things that we are sure of, that you desire for us to be your followers. You desire for us to go out and reach the world for you, share our faith with our family and our friends, and uh, help us to be faithful in those things. And so we love you. We love you. And we thank you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.